0: Welcome, Karen, to the Unpacking Depression podcast project. Um, my name is Eugenia McGuire, and I'm a social worker. For those of you who haven't been listening to this series here, I've decided to dive in and learn a bit about depression specifically. So I've been having conversations with folks with lived experience. Um, I'm really delighted to have you here, Karen, because you also are familiar with the Newfeld paradigm. So that is very helpful in terms of us being able to really dive in and make sense of things, I think, at a deeper level. Um, um, but I'll just pass it over to you to, to introduce yourself, however you however you like. Okay.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Eugenia. I think this is a really important topic and discussion to have, um, especially through the Newfeld lens. i um, often question this journey of depression that I hear so many people talk about and using the Newfeld lens, um, I think this deepens my understanding of what we get wrong about it in mm-hmm. some ways, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm happy to just dive in there with you. Um, I'm a mom. I have two littles. One is nine. He lives with Down syndrome and my daughter is 11. Um, she's pretty sensitive. So that's interesting to navigate as well, the two of them and just sort of dealing with sort of my own experience of emotions. Um, and I am the youngest of four. So I feel like that's also impacts who I am. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: and my uh, my siblings are boys, so I have three older brothers um, that are quite a bit older than me, and then me. So. Oh wow! Okay, mm-hmm. I
0: can just imagine. Yeah, the little <laughs> little girl just chasing after the three boys, trying yep. to keep
1: up. <laughs> totally, and and them not wanting to play with me ever, right? So is that annoying? Much younger little sister. <laughs> right oh
0: my goodness yeah birth order has is an interesting topic yeah yeah so what's your sort of um framework for understanding depression um or experience we can kind of go
1: either way i think my framework is more of what society says you know, if you experience sadness and it lasts too long, you should go to your doctor and get put on medication um, so that you can function in your life. Um, And that seems to be the answer uh, most often, a quick solution. So I think about that in terms of uh, my framework. Um, My personal experience has always been a questioning I've spent a lot of years in counseling and asking, is this depression? Is this depression? Should I be doing something about this? What does this look like? Is this normal? Uh, so, just really always sort of skirting around um, this idea that I should, um, like, maybe I should label myself as that. Mm. That makes sense. Oh, totally.
0: That's actually kind of the question that's been going around in my head for these last few weeks or so that I've been doing these podcasts is, okay, what is depression, right? Like we have this idea of what it is based on the DSM disorder diagnosis, right? Like this is the, these are the symptoms and this is what it looks like. But the more I talk to people, it, it, it is different. There's so many different factors. And I'm just I'm trying to put my finger on it. And um, I just have as many questions as I do ideas. And some of them are contradictory. And I'm like, I don't know if we're all talking about the same thing when we use that word, or if it's just that there's this spectrum and, and variance. And maybe that's true of, of all things or all words. But mm-hmm. this one's a little bit of a mystery, because with some of the other "Quote unquote" issues like let's say anxiety or something like. I feel like I've wrapped my head around that because um, Dr. Newfeld has really unpacked that whole area in terms of uh, you know the alarm alarm system material and that. And there's just you know he's kind of like. I always think of his work as being like one of those mosaic paintings that has the little tiny tiles that make up the big picture. Right. Where it's like you kind of go back, you know, 10 feet and you're like, oh, there's Bob Marley's face. And then you go in and you're like, oh, my goodness. And there's like a a sunset in Mexico and there's, you know, making up his little eyelash. And there's, you know, like all of these, all of these pieces. And when he dives into something, he he talks a lot about Bob Marley's face. But then he he talks about every single tile. And it's like, okay, I, I understand this now because we've covered it all. Yeah. And yes, there were paradoxes, but
1: that's a great yeah. description of his material.
0: <laughs> a mosaic. Yeah. And it's, and it's so both like, it's so yeah. big picture and it's so zoomed in detail, right? It's like mm-hmm. eagle and mouse at the same time. It's so yeah. so interesting, but with depression, it's kind of like, okay, well, he's said some snippets and I've kind of noted them down and been like, okay, a clue, a clue, a clue. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm like collecting more of these clues, but it's still still like what is the big picture and what are all the tiles i'm not sure i understand that yet
1: mm-hmm. i think it's harder to put into words in comparison to uh, his how he talks about anxiety and alarm right it's easy to see the comparison between the two um i feel a little bit more intrigued with the whole like the stress response that he's recently been you know not recently diving into it's always sort of, it's always been there but um, at the conference recently was talking about that flat lining. Um, and part of me feels like that's a little bit more in what I would understand about depression that you just can't keep moving. You're not interested in anything. A part of me thinks about that checklist that you can get at a pharmacy. Mm -hmm. It's like a pamphlet and, you know, go through the checklist. Um, and you could essentially diagnose yourself with depression and, um, I have gone through that checklist before and been like, wow, I qualify for all of those. I could easily pick them all off on any day. And even had, had like, I've not jokingly, but sort of said again, cause I've always had this question of like, is this actually depression? Like, is this a chemical mm-hmm. imbalance in my body where I need to go and get medication to help me function in the world? So I think that is where like, Again, my framework is this, whether it's a societal view or, or where it comes from is if I'm depressed, I should go on medication. And then if I can afford it, go to counseling or, you know, whatever that is. Right. Um, but it, it does for me, it comes down to this medication idea. And I have had families say to me, oh, you're totally depressed. And I'm like, huh, interesting. But of course you don't really have that discussion any further well, I didn't, I shouldn't say, of course, I didn't continue that conversation because I was like, am I, am like, is that what's happening for me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how
0: long has this been, this journey been going on? Like, is it, is it on and off or is it kind Gosh, of, I would
1: say, uh, most of my life. Um, I mean, certainly through my teen years, probably, I would probably say, like what makes me question it and the feeling, and maybe I should talk about that probably makes sense. Talk about what makes me question whether or not this is depression or something else, um, something more in line with the Newfeld lens. Um, certainly my early adulthood and, um, the last 10 or so years for sure. Mm Hmm.
0: Um, Where it's been like, where you've kind of consistently questioned whether or not you are depressed and, and there's not any period of time where something is a little bit different where you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm not depressed now. Maybe I was before. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of in this ambiguous.
1: Yeah. I think there's definitely a period of time, probably in my late twenties to mid thirties where I wouldn't have questioned that. I would have thought like, I've, yay, I finally arrived at the other side of whatever this journey I've been on and I've done work Right, I had already sort of started counseling um, at that point. And I went to university and got my degree and like all of these kinds of things And I was like, I guess I'm succeeding, right? Like life is unfolding and um. Going the way I sort of anticipated it would, um, after some hard work. So yeah, there's been periods of time where I haven't questioned that, um, but I would say more often than not, I have wondered mm-hmm. if if I would get like a clinical diagnosis of depression.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 And what do you kind of what's the meaning you make up about that? Like, is it are you like suffering? Like where it's it's bothering you or where
1: or I guess I bothering? don't feel like I'm suffering. I do feel like days are hard. Mm-hmm. Um things can be difficult, you know, some of the there's always something more to do, meaning, you know, my house is isn't always clean, you know, some things get left to the side. Um, because I feel like I don't necessarily have the energy to get it done. Like, I'm just like, ah, I just kind of want to like gap out at this mm-hmm. moment. Um, so that's how I kind of make sense of it. Like, it's not like I'm struggling to get my work done or I'm struggling to support my kids or my family, but it, it doesn't ever seem like it's easy. You know, I just feel like I sometimes think is like one more thing put on my plate. Will that be what breaks me? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
0: what would, what would like breaking look like? Like, is it like a frustration thing or like, I'm just going to snap or something or
1: like, I, like I just couldn't pick myself up, Mm. you know, not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily a frustration, although, you know, that is a piece of, of life, I think, but just like, will I be able to keep going? If one more thing's piled on, will I actually be able to get out of bed and take care of my kids and do my job and, um, enjoy being around other people like that kind of stuff. Mm. And that is a constant feeling for me. This just like, what is the one thing that's going to break me? Cause I guess I feel like I'm on a breaking point. Mm, Okay
0: like with just overwhelm, like there's so many things to do. And the temptation is just sort of like, shut it out, shut it down, go to bed and just
1: yeah, so, and many things, so many things to do. And honestly, so many things to grieve. Mm. And that's where the Newfeld lens comes in for me is like this, this sort of feeling of sadness, um, the tears that come or don't. Like, I know that there's tears there that are kind of stuck and they won't come, but they probably should. Um, Yeah, it is just more about like, I have a lot to feel burdened by or to grieve. And it seems like more of those things get piled onto my plate and so I think like which one of them is going to be the breaking point and is that mean that I'm depressed I'm depressed Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then of course
0: I'm sure you probably share this view as well that kind of comes from Gordon just about how you know none of this is really supposed to be this way right like we're not supposed to carry all this stuff all alone we're supposed to um have communities and live in basically like the way our nervous systems are designed or that we would be in more like a tribal kind of environment where everybody's helping each other we can rest knowing that if there are times in life that are kind of harder or we can't maybe perform that we're not just going to end up out on the street um so it's not like this constant barrage of like if you don't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going and pushing and pushing day after day then it's all going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Right. That yeah. we would be actually taking care of each other. And like, you'd have, other, you know, many more adults bearing those burdens with you. Yeah.
1: And I think that is, I mean, it's certainly a big piece in my life. I don't, I have people that I could call. I mean, but the act of asking for help is difficult for me because I haven't always been able to count on it. And that's a very long history. So it makes sense that I find it difficult to reach out. And I do have people like I have some really amazing people in my life. Um that I found along the way, um, that I could ask for help. And even my family, if I, you know, was feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I could do. Probably I would ask my husband to reach out to my family. Like there'd be this like back door, but I know that they would surround me, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't actually, as we know, fill us up. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the knowing somebody's there without having to ask Mm -hmm. that allows Mm -hmm. us to rest in the care of others. Exactly. Right.
0: Well, and like asking for help in a modern context is like there's limits to the amount of helping because everybody else has that entire weight (laughs) of their own survival piled onto their own backs. So it's like, okay, well, we can like, you know, bring you a meal or let's come over and like tackle this thing. But it's not an everyday, all day sort of thing where Mm -hmm. you're all working together and Mm supporting each other and you know maybe like dividing the tasks and Mm -hmm. and in that being more kind of efficient or something like that like if Mm -hmm. you were a in a commune or communal sort of (laughs) setting right like I know it kind of it sounds weird or something Mm -hmm. but
1: not to yeah. me. It sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I actually I- say to a friend all the time, I send her like little messages and memes and all kinds of things. Like, when are we going to do this? And she'll send me pictures of animals and I'll send it like, oh, we're going to have these animals. And like in her, I know that she's like, we're laughing and joking about it, but I am one 100- I would pack everything up tomorrow and move to a piece of property with two or three friends or family or whatever and literally live that way. Yeah, yeah. It makes so um, much sense to me
0: totally you know it's funny because like western programmed people are 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 trying like because they get it they get the benefits of it but I also see them trying and kind of bumping up against each other because that that's not how they were raised and it's harder to be like really programmed to be independent and then try to work together but if that's kind of like how your society always has been then I'm sure it's a whole lot easier like Mm -hmm. even to compare like attachment-based societies like Indian culture or something. I went to India in 2019 and just how patient and tolerant they are of each other being all up in each other's business and stuff, because that's just Mm -hmm. kind of how they, they live. They live a lot more communally. They take care of each other a lot more. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think like trying to go and do it after the fact as an adult would, would push a lot of buttons.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it would bring up a lot of shame potentially too in this idea that like you should be able to do it by yourself, Um, which is I think another, you know, component of whether it's depression or just, you know, what it is that we're struggling with on the daily, on a daily basis that like, well, certainly your life isn't as heavy as somebody else's. You should be able to pick it up, like pull up your bootstraps and keep going. And so if you, i could i can see there would be these messages you know unexpected from your body or wherever that are saying you know like really you can't do this alone like what's wrong with you in our culture anyways
0: oh totally yeah
1: yeah and just
0: the just the fighting and the disagreements and people wanting to kind of like make their own decisions and yeah. and it being really hard to think about the the Good of the collective and making decision and, and kind of like putting aside maybe like your preferences and and that and just really focusing and at fairness right like
1: yes well is
0: what you do as valuable as what I do and you know like <laughs> all those sort of
1: and raising those. kids together like the same to come from the same lens of like to how you want to parent them I think like that would be super tricky to work through. Um, We'd almost have to have like a resume of the people you're gonna (laughs) live on property with. Like, what are your parenting views? What are your you know marriage views? Whatever, right? Yeah,
0: totally, totally. There's guaranteed to be guaranteed to be challenges, but I don't know. Maybe maybe a worthwhile venture. It's hard to even think about now because like it's we've kind of like, we've missed the boat because our society has made us this way. Um, and yeah. but then our nervous systems are telling us like, Hey, there's something wrong because carrying all of this day after day is, you know,
1: meaningless or just far too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to where we started with this part of the conversation, um, you know i do i have a lot on my plate i raise a child with disability i have a child um who like both my kids in the school system have um individual education plans and so there's all sorts of i mean that's like a full time job for me just supporting them at school and trying to navigate that broken system and um bringing, um, an attachment-based lens to the school system and really pushing the importance of that, right? Like that's an uphill battle every day, yeah. um, that I carry alone, right? Unless I'm connecting with, um, other people in the Newfeld um, Institute and other, you know, parents along the way that carry an attachment lens, it is very isolating, um, having to sort of manage both of those things. So that's something um, I unexpectedly lost my mom 10 years ago. And she was a huge, we had a very rocky relationship growing up. Um, she was living in, I believe, undiagnosed in her own depression, and really unavailable and just managing her own life. Um but as a young adult, I was like this, like, this needs to be healed. Like I took on this role of like, this needs to be healed. And we're really working towards all of that. And um, I started having a family. Like my daughter had was just four months old when my mom um, had an accident and passed away. And it was just like, whoa, this is not what I had planned mm. for my future, right? Like I'd worked so hard at this plan of like getting to have a relationship with my mom in, you know, as I became a parent and in my, the later part of my life. Um, So that's been a real big burden, um, obviously, for Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. Um, And I think, you know, when I say 10 years, as I say that out loud, I assume that most people can understand why I would still miss her, but a lot of people maybe can't understand how, much grief I still carry around the lost dreams of it. And so then I, that's when I start to ask myself, like, well, is this about depression? Like, should I have come, like, should I have bounced back from the other side of that in a different way? I don't mm-hmm. know.
0: Well, and like grief that's relationships that are complex make for complex grieving scenarios that are like so nuanced and there's so many layers
1: hmm Yeah. And it adds to that, that element of, well, I don't have my mom to help me sort through this, where if she was here, like she would be here, you mm-hmm. know, like she would be a part of that. Like she would be the person that I could just rest in mm-hmm. that she would have seen me seen what I was struggling with and just, you know, gone into the kitchen and made dinner or cleaned up, mm-hmm. you know, like any of that kind of stuff. And So then I feel, um, like I grieve that, you know, that's the person, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, we should hopefully, you know, I know a lot of us didn't get that from our parents, but I mean, that is the ideal relationship, right. Where we can continue to rest and we know some days we're going to lose them, um, just when we lose them unexpectedly much younger than we would have thought it's not you know it happens but it isn't what we were expecting right so yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so it's like the burden of that mm-hmm. i don't know if burden's the right word it just adds weight mm-hmm. and my husband's family is not around um there's a whole weird Thing that goes on there with that and when we got married we had kind of planned to have them in our lives more and they're not and so that is again another just like it just seems like isolation 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 um and lots of heavy mm-hmm. yeah yeah well especially like if
0: they're more vulnerable in the school system and that and these are adults who you know, technically these could be the other adults, like more adults in the tribe to help. But if you're having to worry about making sure that your kids are going to be safe with them and trying to like educate them (laughs) or, yeah, like that can be so tough as well. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It's almost that it is easier to do it by myself, but I know that that's not the healthiest or not healthiest, the most, I know that's not optimal. Mm -hmm. for my own growth, for their growth, for, you know, their future, right? Mm -hmm. It is more optimal to have a community around us.
0: Yeah. Have you bumped into like a lot of, um, really, um, punitive ideas from adults in that realm because your children have, um, higher needs?
1: I mean, with my son currently, there is quite a push for it's time for him to become more independent. Uh, Um, We're not going to be able to continue offering him the same amount of support, um, which my son, when I say he's an escape artist, um, People say, oh, yeah, lots of kids with Down syndrome are like, it's kind of something that you can expect of a child syndrome, which is really interesting, not just Down syndrome, but I don't know, um, many of the families I connect with, or I was like, oh, yeah, my kid's an escape artist, too. Like, it's just this impulsive sort of wanting to do their own thing. Um, and my son proved it on the first day of kindergarten, um, to the full extent, and left the school and was found in the middle of the intersection. At age five. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah. Yes. Found by somebody coming back from their lunch break. I mean, the school was alerted, but they hadn't found him yet before this other person found him. And I had already warned them um, that if he did get out of the school, which I'm like, I don't even know why I'm having to have this conversation, but I did um, that. That's where he would go. Cause he adores the school crossing guard, like mm-hmm. adores him and because he's younger than my daughter, he had been walking her to school for a couple of years. um, So had this routine. Um, But I mean, when I got that phone call, I mean, it was, it was like losing my mom. It was so devastating to know that what I warned them could happen, happened on his first full day of school. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. That'll make you feel really like, un uneasy about is our people.
1: Yeah. Like I was at work and I, my supervisor was like, oh my gosh, she thought somebody in my life had just passed away, but that was the, that's what it felt like. And so, you know, obviously all kinds of, oh, wow, we should have listened to you messages and all kinds of things after that. Uh, But it's hard to settle. It's really when, especially if somebody new, because again, there's lots of changes in the system. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody new comes along, you know, we're on edge waiting. Like, does this person know that he's an escape artist? And then um, at the beginning of this year, season grade three now, they made some changes with this idea that he should be more independent. And he found his way to the middle of the intersection again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So this idea, and I think, you know, this, for me, this does go along the lines of, you know, depression, grief, the weight of all the things we have to do, like, you know, all these questions I have in my mind, um, where this like constant on edge um, that my husband and I have to sort of live with for him and this constant argument of well actually he hasn't shown us that he's capable of the independence we're asking Mm. because of his like if we look through the Newfeld lens he's still dependent he is fully dependent and the answer is to keep supports in place until he um emerges from that mm-hmm. with his independence. Yeah. But that's completely backwards thinking compared to the school system, right? I mean it, it's just so the opposite of what the school system does.
0: Yeah. Because they're just so near his biological age or and or their funding and saying we're 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 losing patience for
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's time for him to be taught. Mm. Right. Which I mean you know in the moment I guess he could be taught to sit at his desk but he's certainly not going to stay there instinct like on his own because he doesn't have the attention to do that the on the other hand um, you know I'll wait till recess type of idea he just doesn't have that yet so that's feels quite punitive to us. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then, um, for my daughter, because she is functioning well socially, mm-hmm. um, and she isn't a problem at all. Uh, she doesn't really qualify for supports because they don't have to put any fires out around her. Mm-hmm. So then she's really not getting it. And I feel like, okay, like, because she's functioning well, it doesn't mean like that's, a, um, she's functioning well outside of the home because of what we've done for her, Mm -hmm. but she's not functioning at home because of what's happening at school.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of weight. So from that whole perspective of the brain Mm -hmm. has its reasons, right. Um, it seems to kind of make sense to me, based on what you're saying that, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's all this overwhelm. There's not really many or any other adults, really. It's just you and your husband for the most part.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's all this overwhelming stuff you have to deal with. You're kind of having to feel like you're solely responsible for making sure that your kids, you know, are going to be safe in the school system, but there isn't the rest. Um just so many things to carry and and like historical grief and other things like that. Right. And there isn't just the time to have a break or go into those things. Probably. Right. You're exhausted Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. so the brain's reasons would be to cope with overwhelm then like just we're so overwhelmed. It's chronic, just like shut this down. Or is that kind of like,
1: yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, um, I think, I mean, I have done a lot of counseling and the, you know, the last five years I've had a really great counselor that is, you know, body, mind, spirit. Um, so th- like there is, I have a lot of dissonance actually, which is really interesting. Cause I would say like in my early, like, I would say one thing for that I find interesting about my own journey is that um, I, it probably took me, not probably, it took me a long time to have an emotional maturity, to have mixed feelings, to see on the other hand. Um, so it's like, it's an interesting process now because I feel like I have this dissonance in me where I'm like, oh, this is hard. This is heavy. Um, I don't know if I can do anything more. Um, you know, what's the next thing that's going to break you know, break me. And then on the other hand, I'm like, Oh, I have this inner strength all of a sudden. And I know that I have, like, it's just really weird. Like I'm, I disagree with myself all the time Mm. about whether like how it's not that it's not hard, but I disagree with myself that I'm at a breaking point now, but I wonder Mm. if that's because not, I wonder, I believe that's because I have more, space for the things that I should be grieving that makes sense to grieve. And I actually allow those tears or just that feeling of sadness doesn't necessarily have to be tears, but, um, this like, yeah, this is hard and this is heavy. Like I'm taking up a relationship with myself and the heaviness of my life. hmm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That was something I was kind of wondering about, um, earlier is like how much of this just is should be normalized should be normalized i don't know could be normalized i guess Mm -hmm. um because like that is life or at least that's life in a modern western societal context versus like the judge how much of this additional judgment that we pile on ourselves about oh i have depression or oh i have this thing i I checked these check boxes. So therefore I need to be pathologized or it's, it's above average. Like how much of it could be actually normalized because it's like, well, you know, yeah, like sounds to me like you should be feeling rather overwhelmed. That's a lot.
1: Right. And Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's what I, that's why I ask myself is this depression. Mm -hmm. And I find that an interesting question to be asking myself often enough that I'm like aware that I ask it probably too much. Um, But that's where the dissonance comes in Mm -hmm. where I think to myself like, Hey, but like uh, in this current moment, um, the school system made some very unexpected changes in my son's life that my husband and I just do not feel like he'll be safe And so we've rearranged our entire life to pick him up from school early because we're not willing to put him in an unsafe situation. So, and this happened about a month ago, very unexpectedly. And I just, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know how I'm going to continue this battle for the next 10 years. I think I like, I have to, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just felt so broken Mm-hmm. And the laundry piled up, the dishes piled up, the, you know, I don't know, things on the checklist. Like, I wasn't getting my daughter's like, Mom, there's no food in the house. I'm like, Right. I haven't really done much grocery shopping, mm-hmm. like all those tasks. And I've really started to ask, okay, this must be the depression piece. This must be where I'm falling apart, where I'm not coping any longer, where um, I don't feel like doing anything. Mm -hmm. but if I stop judging myself I love how you said that like this judgment we put on ourselves or this pressure and think like if I were to write out a list of the things on my plate and someone anyone came to me and said oh my god here's my plate I'd be like wow no kidding Mm -hmm. no kidding the laundry's piled up and you don't have any food in the house right
0: Exactly. It's like treading water. Like you're just treading water, treading water. Okay. Okay. Keep treading, keep treading. (laughs) But then at some point your brain is kind of like, like no more treading. And then as soon as you take yourself out, then all those things just start to pile up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And no one's throwing a lifeline. No, I was talking to, um, a mutual, like, I guess, friend of ours in the, in the Institute, and they were talking about how they just felt like they were playing this constant game of whack-a-mole. Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. Uh, whack-a-mole. And I said, yeah. And somebody else keeps putting the quarters in. it's <laughs> like, like, stop putting the quarters in. Like I'm trying to finish this like one task or this one activity. And you keep like loading it up. That's a really right? and good we, analogy. <laughs> like we laughed about it because we understand like, you know, we both understand the sort of like idea around, you know, we're trying to put it out. We're trying to, um, feel our sadness and, and get this bounce back. Um, but we just like, it's like, we have no control over it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how can you keep coping?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is beyond what I think is something that like we were kind of built to manage right yeah like I'm always like I always go back to picturing um either traditional indigenous people kind of pre-colonization as like Mm. okay well what would that look like like yes humans suffer yes we have hardship like people will always have that as part of their journeys but like was it this feeling of (laughs) whack-a-mole you know like is that is that normal like or, or, or the other example is um, um, more a more modern example is like when I went to the high Andes mountains of Peru and saw people living in a very traditional way and mm-hmm. they're they're very well balanced like they're very at rest and they do work together and there isn't any I don't think it occurs to them like like oh if I just don't keep up with this thing I'm going to like flounder and drown you know like that's just not an option like they're all they're together they um
1: it's probably not even their piece to worry about no or to consider they're just like oh this person's bringing in the fish and this person you know maybe that's too broad of a statement but you know like somebody else is doing it and they don't even have to put the energy into it so if they're having a a harder day in that moment it's just there, like it's that hard moment right there and then they you know that I'm assuming they get this, you know, there's a way to work through that and not work through the hundred other things that need their attention.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's like the quality of life is good. It's very basic, but it's very um, communal. Like there, there's Mm -hmm. everybody, like they don't, they don't worry about their kids not being safe because everybody is within that village of attachment. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like when Gordon, talked about provence and all of that stuff yes. and then i went to pru and i observed the people of the high andes and i was like this is like my provence like i'm seeing attachment-based culture like in person before my very own eyes and it it really sunk in where i was like okay like this is how we are designed to live mm-hmm. and yeah they don't it's have words for like suicide depression anxiety. Like they don't have that word, those words in their lexicon.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, it, it my daughter has been wanting to have some independence, right? Like ride her bike around the neighborhood. And my husband and I are like, why are we so nervous about her doing that? Like we did that as a kid. I was outside by myself constantly as a child in this bush across the street, like down the road, whatever. Um, and we, it, we realize it's because we don't have neighbors like when I was little I could go to 50 other neighbors you know blocks and blocks away if I needed some that where to go to be safe Mm. we don't know anyone in our neighborhood yeah I think you know that makes sense why you know in those cultures they wouldn't have that same anxiety or alarm around their child going you know out into the forest Exactly. And they're
0: all all very small communities too. Like it's like unmanageable to try to figure out, you know, who's safe when you have like this huge city of people, right? You're like, well, I don't know, like there's Mm going to be a bunch of people who aren't safe within that larger group. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation, right? Oh, totally. (laughs) Totally. So do you feel like you do
0: have these instances where the tears do get unstuck and you have like, you know, like watch a sad movie or something like that. And you're like, whoa, I had a good cry. Like, I feel relieved of this yeah. feeling of kind of yeah. shut down, overwhelm.
1: Because of the Newfeld lens, I'm going to say I have really had to work hard at finding those places. Like, and what I mean is that, you know, this idea of using play as a place to move our emotions um, or the fact that my emotions even need to move, where in my teenage years and early adulthood, um, I would just escape in drinking or whatever, you know, my friends and I decided to do at that time. We were very peer-oriented and not being guided by adults at all. So, that would have been my escape and I wouldn't have allowed the tears to come. I would have seen it as like a weakness or a vulnerability too much. Um, Whereas now I do have, I know that I need to find those spaces. Um, So it's funny. I don't know. I'm all of a sudden like totally obsessed with Taylor Swift, which lots of people are like, what? They think that's kind of funny, but there's something about, the way her music moves, even like if I put a plan together, like, okay, I'm really having a difficult day when I do the dishes I'm going to put on this playlist with like, or this album. Um, And it, for a long time, it tended to be Taylor Swift or when I'm having a really hard day, I'll go back to that music because it, Maybe it doesn't like, maybe I'm not fully crying because my kids are with me and that would just be alarming to them. But there is a movement inside of me where I'm just holding on to my sadness Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. my grief about what isn't working. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you,
0: are you a person that like, doesn't really, isn't easily moved to tears then? Like you kind of like you're crying on the inside, you feel, feel it flowing through, but the tears don't actually really.
1: I definitely can cry, but I don't do it often because, um, one, I'm afraid it might, like, depending on where I am, I'm sometimes afraid that it won't stop. Like, you have that, like, fear of, like, oh, man, am I going to be able to collect myself back after this? And, um, like, historically, it was never something... I definitely got the message. Stop crying. You have nothing to cry about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I find that now I'll often, because my counselor right now is my kind of only person where I'll let all that vulnerability go. I often will hold a lot of it until I see her.
0: So do you cry a lot with her then?
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally.
0: Mm-hmm. Like walk into her office and just blah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Even, even in preparation, like, you know, a few days before a visit, I'll be like, oh man, there's going to be some tears coming. And I will put on sad movies. Like I, you know, the, like I'll easily find tears in those moments and stuff. Um, or this is us. I don't know if you watched that show, but well, yeah. that was like yeah. full of tears. <laughs> um, and I knew that, you know, every Tuesday or whatever day I'd get to catch up. So it's not that I can't find them. It's there is, but there is a fear around when they'll, when I allow them to come, um, because I I do worry that they won't stop. Mm. There's a lot of them there, you know.
0: I wish I could have like tear camp for adults where I could go for like a week or something, two weeks, be like, okay. You know, cry all you want because you don't have to go home for another week or two.
1: I have a really good um, friend, her and her husband are pastors and I, I don't attend church, um, but I do go to church with them. Like I've done a few sort of the more special occasions where I've attended um, a service with them. And one of the services, I think the last one I went to with them, they were going through a ceremony to become the pastors of the church. And oh my, I could not stop crying. Like I could, Mm -hmm. I could, it was like, like if, if nobody had been around, it would have been that full on like, (gasps) like you can't catch your breath. You're just like Mm -hmm. sobbing because what I saw in that moment was just like the community Mm. their community of people just surrounding them with like, you know, they're becoming the pastors of this church, but I, I saw in that moment that they weren't doing it alone. It wasn't, they weren't standing up front alone. They had a community of people surrounding them, just like lifting them up in this moment um, and watching their vulnerability. Like it was just, it was so powerful. I thought to myself, like, I, I think here's the fear about where my like tears would come from is I don't know what I would do with that kind of support. Cause I've never experienced it. And that's terrifying. Mm. Like, I feel like I would just crumble into like this ball of like, I'd be immobilized by uh, vulnerability maybe. because yeah, I've, yeah. I've just never had it. I've never been able to lean in. And I mean, never like my, like, When I think about my childhood, I never had what Gordon talks about of that
0: um, with a soft heart. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is really vulnerable, I guess, because like, it's the thing we want, but I've seen so many people kind of like sabotage or run away from those opportunities as well, because it's Mm -hmm. so vulnerable. It's kind of like what you're describing. Like it sounded like your tears were coming from this place of like inspiration, like seeing this, seeing this possibility of what it looks like to be held in community.
1: Mm -hmm. I often think like when Gordon, I love how he, presents material of like he always starts about like where the fruit is like you mm-hmm. get to see like like why why attachment like why are we you know doing this development why are we looking at development um and and like you see the fruit before you understand mm-hmm. where it's coming from and that, that's what i saw in that mm-hmm. moment the potential, or that this does happen, this can happen. Mm. And so I was excited to get to witness it in real time, and incredibly sad that it's something mm. I never experienced. Yes. Yeah. Totally. And that that's not like, I mean, I think it's normal, whatever that word means in our society. Like, I, th- I don't think I'm the only person who didn't experience that place of rest, especially if you think about our parenting practices um, over the years. Um, But that what is normal or should be normal, maybe I should Mm -hmm. say that Mm -hmm. what should be normal is what I witnessed in that church, that these people, my friends were, you know, essentially taking off on a journey and their entire community was like, and we are here to walk you through it. Totally. Yeah, totally.
0: It'd be like if you were like lived underground in like some dystopian cave and mm-hmm. just had like 3D printed food, and then you came out and saw the sun and the plants <laughs> and like got to eat an apple. you would be like, yes, everything in me is wired for like this, this authentic experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes back to where, you know, why I think about depression in this, in this way is because the other thing is, is I feel I'm quite open um, and wanting to talk about it. Like I, I sort of feel um, like I want to have discussions with people about what it is that isn't normal about our society and how, how it should be. Um, And how I didn't have it and that's why I am, you know, experiencing some of the things that I do or maybe who I am as a person. I don't know. There's probably a lot more conversation about that. But um, that's where I think, like, probably what I'm experiencing is, quote, unquote, normal based on my current lived situation, but the only answer in society is that it must be pathologized because other people don't understand it from the same place. Yeah.
0: They just don't know what they don't know. They have nothing, no basis for comparison. This is like, if anything, in everyone's minds, we're like at the pinnacle of awesomeness in terms Mm -hmm. of (laughs) but yeah like the materialism and everything like we've got Mm -hmm. kind of pretty much most people have you know um more than their ancestors ever had in terms Mm -hmm. of comforts and whatever entertainment all that stuff right but Mm -hmm. it's it's like eating the the 3d printed apple instead of the real apple sometimes
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah or putting your own quarters in the whack-a-mole slot (laughs) like <laughs> right, play, play, playing when you want to and, and taking a break when you don't, right. Taking yeah. that rest from, cause I think there is like, you know, I, I mean, I add, I add things to my plate, which people think like, I don't know how you're doing. Like, that seems crazy mm-hmm. to me. Right. Like I'm, you know, continuously trying to learn, um, mm-hmm. training in the Newfound paradigm or, reading other books like i'm so excited for uh dr gabor Mate's um new book to arrive in september um the myth of normal i think it's called right
0: i don't i remember hearing that he was going to be releasing a book and at the time the working cult um the working title was toxic culture Mm. i don't know if this is like the same premise
1: this is a book that he was writing with his son i believe and it's going to be released in september um okay maybe the
0: title think, just changed or something but it was yeah. essentially like about what we were what we're talking about here yeah about the fact that like our culture has created all of these problems
1: mm-hmm.
0: and mm-hmm. we don't see that
1: yeah well thank goodness for google because i had to look it up so i wouldn't be able to keep moving i mean i could have forgotten about it but it is like the myth of normal trauma mm. illness and healing in a toxic culture.
0: Ah, okay, that's where the toxic culture came in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um so that's what, like I keep adding more um onto my plate of things and people are like, "Well, why don't you just stop doing some of that kind of stuff?" and I think that's I don't know whether it's that I continue to chase um something um or continuing to try to make sense of this question of is this depression
0: mhm mhm yeah totally yeah it's like such a conundrum of like okay do i just like try to make my life small so that it's easier
1: mm-hmm.
0: or do i like kind of let the curiosity um propel me in, and the pursuit i guess it's like a drive a pursuit drive I have that same mm-hmm. thing where I'm like must know an alpha
1: <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> must
0: understand it all Gordon yes. knows so much so much I'm going to go pursue his brain for the next yes. oh, many years but um so is it just our
1: neuroses right
0: yeah yeah and I mean definitely all of that is weaving in for sure in yes. terms of like you know gathering the energy to to plow through all these these courses and things um whereas other people are kind of like meh I'm like you don't want to know the answers to the universe like what's wrong with you
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah that's true
0: don't want to make sense of all of this yeah exactly it adds so much meaning to the whole experience like just to live in in ignorance and Mm. smallness like yeah I probably would I would probably become I don't know, depressed, what have you. Um, if I didn't have some way to try to like wrap my head around what's going on and yeah. I'm kind and, of the same way though. Like I'm like the Debbie Downer at the,
1: the dinner table. Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> I am definitely like I actually have said, you know, like is there something wrong with me? Like maybe maybe I'm isolated because I'm no fun to be around. I don't know. Or I just have- the um, right people I'm not sure but I do have that like you know like tell me about your childhood and I don't want to know about the coffee you drink or the clothes you like or right I want to know deeper things about you um, <laughs> which I guess you know isn't always a place where people want to go
0: Hmm. yeah no not not really in this culture so much
1: yeah or your eyelashes or eyebrows which I mean whatever I'm not trying to judge other people or the decisions that they make about how the how um about how, how they, they live work, their life how they work to get love <laughs> well I guess that that is it and I think you know that is so funny that you said that because I had uh, an appointment with my counselor yesterday and we were having this I mean the our discussion tends to be around the same you know this idea of you know there there is nothing wrong with me you know I am um like this like isolation and um, this constant work mode that our society is in is actually not the norm mm-hmm. it's not how we were meant to live it's not how we're meant to become all we're meant to be you know to have our you know to live out our potential mm-hmm. Um, and so we we're just talking we were sort of laughing about like um I do have laughter with my counselor too which is always another good release but mm. we're just kind of talking about this idea that um I'm not willing I'm no longer willing to sacrifice what I know to be true about myself um to be in relationship with others mm-hmm. which is a very it's a much different approach than um, which when I was a teenager, I modified myself all the time Mm -hmm. to be in relationship, to be loved, to be seen, like I altered, um, everything about me. I think, I think about this a lot and I feel like I should one day maybe find the words around writing a story about it, but I don't think I discovered my favorite type of gum until I was, I don't know, probably closer to 30. Mm. because whatever type of gum the other person that I was trying to be friends with or a girlfriend with or whatever, um, that's the gum I would buy because I was like, mm. oh, this is a way I'm going to be connected to them. Oh, she notices what kind of gum I like. So then they see me because I'm doing something for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What kind of gum do you want me to like? I can be anything.
1: <laughs> totally. Bubble gum,
0: peppermint, cinnamon. <laughs> what,
1: what do you like?
0: That's a really good metaphor because it's so superficial as well, but it connects to the yeah, the sameness and the like just the lack of like checking in, like no awareness about one's own sensory experience about themselves and what their preference are preferences are or anything. There's no room for the individual. It's just hey I'll I'll do
1: whatever song and dance and chew whatever kind of bubblegum mm-hmm. you want me and, to chew. I mean even a deeper part of that which you know sort of goes back to the beginning of of trying to hold your parent close or your caregiver close is my favorite gum is actually thrills, that purple mm. gum that tastes like soap. It's not, soup, it. it's not even popped. I don't even know if it's popular, but it's called thrills gum. And it's like these purple little, I don't know, whatever purple gum. And it was my mom's favorite. Oh, interesting. Okay like a hard chiclet sort of a yeah it's like a hard chiclet and it was a out around the same time as chiclets and you can find it randomly like you can randomly find chiclets um but it it does taste like soap yeah you'd have to go to a specialty store now to find it sometimes the dollar store will have it um just like a random dollar store Hmm. and people are like i cannot believe you like that gum but it makes so much sense to me because it's a way for me to hold on to my mom It was a way for me to hold on to my mom when I was little, Mm. um, liking the same gum as her. And it is funny how that followed me through, um, my teens and even early adulthood. I can think about this one boy that I just thought was like so cute and stuff like that. And I found out what kind of gum he liked and he was, and I can remember like clear as day. He was like, wow, that's your favorite gum too. And I'm like, Yeah. I don't know. Probably wasn't like, yeah, of course it is. We're the same. Yes.
0: Wow. This is so fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because like gum in and of itself has like absolutely nothing as far as nutrients or nourishment to offer or anything. Right. It's just like kind of this like superficial thing, which kind of is how we're going for attachment in our society. Right. Like mm-hmm. the peer orientation and all that stuff.
1: Mm hmm. Which that, this, that again, like, you know, because I know where I want to keep coming back to depression a little bit, because I think it is a really important, I mean, it is, you know, this piece that's really important for me, I think for, for others to understand that, um, like we're seeking out these things that are superficial and they're not filling us up. And of course we would feel empty well, we probably don't feel empty, but of course we feel this need to continue pursuing. So we get this, like, like I should be happy. I should, I should be, you know, um, out having coffee with friends and going on all these adventures and doing all of these kinds of things. Um, and if I'm not, then I must be depressed or there must be something wrong with me. Um, so how do I keep, you know, we keep pursuing all of that. Um, but it's not filling us up mm-hmm yeah totally this kind of reminds
0: me I don't know if I can't remember if you were at the intensive three that um Gordon,
1: um presented at back in 2015 on Vancouver Island no no I've only watched it I've not watched it, I've listened on my own which is actually a really bad idea <laughs> oh. if you ha- like if you have it it's not a bad idea like i mean the material is amazing Mm -hmm. but it definitely if you have a history like mine it required a lot of like oh wow there's a lot personally that i'll need to unpack here Mm -hmm. um that you wouldn't necessarily want to unpack alone oh okay okay that was my experience of Mm -hmm. of doing it like a self-paced i guess is kind of Mm -hmm. how i yeah i did it yeah
0: um I don't know if he does this in the recorded version or not, but he did this really cool thing where, um, I mean, it's not, it's not about depression exactly, but I've been kind of thinking of it as we've been talking. I think it was a self-esteem questionnaire. Mm. Um, if I'm remembering it correctly, I've actually, I, I went and found it and like printed it off. I have it stashed somewhere, but mm. pretty sure it was a self-esteem questionnaire and it was essentially like this, um, actual tool that some psychologist developed and i think it's like considered a legitimate whatever assessment tool and um he put himself through it in front of everybody mm. and basically proved that he was technically um it might have been related to depression i think it was um i think it was self-esteem though he was basically like look at me i'm in the lowest category of self-esteem mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of those questions were kind of like definitely um depression-esque in a way. They were like, like, you know, sad all the time, cry, you know, like these kinds of things, um, thinking badly of yourself and whatever. And mm-hmm. and just the way he he spun it, he was like, We are pathologizing somebody who is actually by definition healthy if you have these things. Um and it was just like due to our interpretation um, mm-hmm. whether or not we pathologized something or actually looked at it from like a, a balanced perspective about mm-hmm. like, you know, sadness not being a, something wrong with you or like that you don't have that. It's very narcissistic actually to like, just think, have this high opinion of yourself and be arrogant and out there in the world, not seeing your own flaws, not taking up a relationship of disagreement with yourself and
1: like all these things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. Um, how you can fit into those tools. Like I think the depression checkbox, right? Like I, like I said, I was, I kind of giggled to myself when I read it. So I don't know. I was like, wow. Yeah. I guess I fit all of those, um, boxes, but even this also brings up for me, um, When we look at the development um, through the newfeld lens, and not just him, lots of psychologists talk about this. You know, five to seven shift. You know, Piaget talks about this, um, where we're able to start to experience more than one emotion at a time, or attend to more than one thing at a time, and where that dissonance comes from. And I, you know, if we're following. Developmental lens um, that I would say is probably more normal that most of us don't experience, but would be more normal if we're talking about how it should unfold. You know, we would start to see a, a huge um, dissonance in our teenage years, uh, where we're starting to question, like, "Oh, but and then I feel this way, and oh, how do I feel?" And it is very unnerving to mm-hmm. to start to sort of question yourself. And and I could see how. Because it isn't something people do often, or even talk about often, um, how you would start to think that something's wrong with you, yeah, when you're experiencing something that is actually quite normal, totally. And, and I, because I went through that stage much, much later in my life, um, where I, you know, questioned my own like own thoughts or I, you know, my own feelings about things that it did feel unnerving. And I can, I can even sit in that now and think I'm disagreeing with myself. That's so weird, but it actually isn't weird. Mm -hmm. It's so, so, so normal. And we don't celebrate that enough. Totally. Totally. And I think there's
0: probably a lot of people who are kind of in this zone that we've been talking about where it's like, um, maybe like a lower level depression and stuff where they're like, is there something wrong with me? Am I depressed? You know, but then there's people on the other end of of a spectrum that are incapacitated where they, you know, cannot get out of bed and like, they feel like they're slogging through cement every day. And they're like, there's clearly something that is um, debilitating my life and I can't perform like I just cannot like get it together to even pull off the performance of getting through the day or mm-hmm. doing the minimum going to work whatever mm-hmm. and like those people are like really 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 fighting for legitimacy around their experience and yeah wanting people to acknowledge that like their depression is real and severe and and all of that um and like, I feel like Gordon has kind of like spoken to that in a way too. He's kind of been like, okay, well, here's, here's some glimpses on what I think of, about depression theoretically, but then he's kind of said like, oh, but then there's this like kind of other version of clinical depression that's like super severe. And that's like, almost like, I don't know if it's just like something so far away on a spectrum or if it's like something else entirely, but he's kind of alluded to that. like Like, we can't necessarily like almost like not wanting to minimize that there Mm -hmm. are these people who are like actually having some other experience that's far more severe over Mm -hmm. over there.
1: Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. I think that it's a very real presence in our society that numbers of people are uh, debilitated by what others would classify as depression or maybe what is depression? Like, I guess I don't know enough, um, theoretically to necessarily to, to, you know, I know what the DSM five is and I probably could Google after, after we chat about what the checklist is and I could probably find lots of people. And so it isn't about diminishing Mm -hmm. that, but what I love about um, Gordon's material is what if the answer for what, wherever you are in that spectrum of depression what if the answer first was relationship mm. first was this idea of cascading care that he talks about where, you know, when other people come in and are, care about you, it gives you more space to care about others. And it just like flows, um, through you. And like, what if we, we recognized whether it's past trauma, um, whether it's a significant loss, Like any, I mean, loss is trauma. Like what, like Mm -hmm. what if we just, you know, said to that person, yeah, you can't get out of bed today. I get that. And just sat with them in it instead of like penalizing them for the depth of depression Mm -hmm. or the depth of what's incapacitated them. Is that the Mm -hmm. right word?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or like encouraging more of the work, work mode right? Like they're already trying to like resist going into this place and scrambling out to like work, 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 (laughs) resist, resist. And, and all of those kind of like disability insurance people and stuff, like pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. you Are you looking for
1: work? Are you even trying to get out of bed? Did you
0: shower today? Yeah. Like just work mode, work mode, work mode when, when rest and dissolving and going into and crying and like getting to the bottom of you know the the
1: brain's reasons
0: for being mm-hmm. this
1: way and um I have this one dad that I work with um and we con we often have this conversation of like he's like yeah but you can afford counseling I can't mm. <clears throat> it's a luxury uh, yeah yeah we have very similar um like heaviness in terms of, you know, he's raising uh, two children alone, both with higher needs. Um, I mean, I'm not alone, but like we, so we talk about sort of the imbalance that he's often saying, yeah, but I, you know, I'm doing this by myself and I have nobody else and, you know, all of that. And I, I, you know, I there's resources available for him, but they're all like the cost of him receiving those, um, resources sometimes I say to, to him and other families is here, let me show you all my dirty laundry and then you'll help me. Like how many people are going to be like, all right, here it is. Here's all my stuff. I really need help. Most of us aren't. Yeah. Again, the answer being here's a parent, two parents, whatever, um, however that scenario goes, or just a human being who is struggling um and our answer to that is just coming alongside Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be lovely totally totally and like you said
0: the relationship is the answer it's just sadly just such a luxury and a privilege for people because so many people just don't don't have that and like if you i've thought about this a lot of times with different um people I've observed who are kind of like all alone and and the the fake resources that we've created in our Mm -hmm. society are just not not really the answer or they're they have to fight for them or there's just not enough or they're not quality like they're just not a fit and stuff and that you know if you were to take that person and just plop them into like a healthy cascading care like where there's relationships and all of that like just how many people would thrive if they Mm -hmm. could have community that worked Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah
1: yeah so it's like um the answer is there (laughs) I think I think the answers are there not I'm not saying they're easy to come by I'm not suggesting that at all that it that it's easy to navigate relationship or the tears we need to have or any of that but I think um we have the answer it's just trying to find the ways to implement it Hmm. yeah yeah yeah
0: well and Gordon says that all the time too he's like you know here the answer is simple and yet it, that doesn't mean it's easy to yeah to create those conditions
1: yeah yeah I often joke about um with some of the other faculty I'll say like when I took the anxiety material I was like man I feel like some of these sessions should just come with a counselor (laughs) because Mm. that's the interesting part about it is like knowing this material I know what's possible which then in some ways like even when you're talking about um people who are living all alone like in some ways, a part of our ability to bounce back from the things that haven't worked or aren't working in our lives is to also recognize that it isn't how it ought to have been. So I think about that. Um, I think in the intensive three is where I've heard Gordon talk about this. Like There is a grief in the only person you have to rely on if, if that only person is your counselor
0: you Mm. also
1: have to grieve that because that's not, uh, that's not how it ought to have been. That's not how it should be. Totally. And so there needs to be a sadness about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. It's totally
1: contrived.
0: It's totally weird. And then like, I have a great counselor and, um, and I love her and she probably loves me, but she would never say that because she can't because there's these yeah. boundaries and there's this so-called power imbalance. And yes, there are power imbalances in in relationships between professionals and clients, but like, I don't feel like there is in this scenario, like she doesn't have this power over me where, you know, like I'm totally capable of making my own decisions and like bringing her alongside for some support. and. Like, you know, she's not going to abuse me or influence me. Or, like, just all these Mm -hmm. weird things that are put in place to try to, like Gordon said, like, just to try to, like, navigate the fact that our attachment instincts are at play in this relationship. And yet, it's not natural. And so,
1: we're -hmm. like, ah, like, don't get too close. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And he does talk about that, too, right? I think it's, I mean... I wouldn't say you could use any treatment um, if you have the relationship. Cause that's not, not true, but I think nothing will work without the relationship. Yes. Exactly. Meaning, like meaning that, you know, whatever process you, you choose, if you don't trust and rest in the person that's offering that care and support, it's not The changes might come, but they won't come as fruitfully, I think.
0: Exactly. It's like one of those diagrams where like you get the one question, do you trust? (laughs) Yes or no. Mm -hmm. If it's a no, you can't proceed to any further steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, There's something I've been wanting to ask you as well that I've heard other people talk about that I'm kind of trying to like wrap my head around, which is this idea of pain versus numbness because mm-hmm. i kind of came into the um came into these recordings the the project thinking like depression was this collapsing of the affect where like mm-hmm. that that sine wave of the like ordinary you know optimal flowing of emotion where that like depresses flat lines affect goes away there's sort of like a defensive like a numbing out um and that one like kind of doesn't feel as much, but then a lot of people have described like an extraordinary amount of feeling where there's but it, but it's just pain, like where all the joy goes away, but they mm-hmm. just feel the pain, but the pain is like intensified. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it seems like suicidal ideation has kind of gone, gone along with depression, um, and that this sort of like amping up of feeling but pain. So like when you think of like your own kind of like depression, is it more of like a less feeling kind of situation a numbing out to life or, or is there like an enhanced amount
1: of pain? What I, um, I think what I've noticed is I can't feel the joy. Like I can't like, so maybe it is a numbing, like it's a, Um, like I just can't access anything but the, the weight, like, I feel like, I don't know if I can put words to it. It feels more like a, like a body experience of just like, it feels so heavy that I can't like, even in a joyful moment, like something that should be a joyful moment, um, I'll, I, I, maybe I'll give an example. When I found the counselor that I see now, I, what I recognized in myself was like, I couldn't feel joy. Like I couldn't access that feel like it was so fleeting. I couldn't hold on to it. I felt like a hopelessness. Um, and I had just like, she's like, what brought you here kind of thing. And I'm like, you know, maybe it's hope, like on my wedding day, I felt so hopeful. Like this pureness of, oh, I have worked hard. I have, I had put in a lot of work before that day to, to, um, I guess mourn the loss of things that I couldn't change, to heal from addiction, to um, just like all. I've put in a lot of work to be like, okay, this is who I am, and I'm not. Going to um, alter myself to live like, and I felt I was really just like proud of that work and felt hopeful. Um, but you know, life is hard, and there is suffering that we um, don't expect. And after that day, um, certainly life unleashed a lot of that um, for my husband and I, in the loss of his dad, and the loss of my mom, and just like loss continuously and being a new parent and all of that. and I couldn't access that. I didn't know how to access that hope anymore and it just felt so awful. Like that sludge, I think you were talking about like moving through cement. like I just that, yeah, like this sludging through what's the point. Um, well, here we are again, this hard life and um, I guess this is just the way it's meant to be you know but like oh oh, don't know get some suffering mm-hmm.
0: yeah well and that kind of like description kind of connects to like something else gordon has talked about with that sine wave where you just kind of go down and then you get lodged somewhere down in the lower end of things but you're just mm-hmm. kind of stuck there and you don't go how mm-hmm. you how you would go to the very bottom where it would where the the depth of the sadness would transmute into um mm-hmm you know, the release, um, and then you would kind of come out and feel content after Mm -hmm. having, um, you know, grieved fully or something. Well, great. Yeah. I'll layer, it's not, almost not like one episode
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's <laughs> almost like when you think about that wave where like when i th- he always talks about the bounce back like mm-hmm. i am i imagine that bounce back like a launching like you don't really mm-hmm. have to climb up the other side of that wave you're kind of like launched into it and yeah. then you're like you know you're i mean yeah it's a process you're going to go through that wave because life is full of suffering and and things that you don't have control over and can't change um I, I saw it as like, I, there, like I, there was nothing would launch me from the bottom. Like I was just like stuck there. And the only Mm. way out of it would be like climbing, like just, and I, you know, you lose your footing and you can't like somebody else took the rock that was supposed to be there or whatever. Right. The rope is gone. Um, Like I, that's what I envisioned this, like just, I'm still working so hard to get to the top rather than um, like a launching into
0: Mm, like an effortless sort of like amount an energy that propels you because there's been this sort of like transmutation of energy that like, you know, up you go kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's crazy. The word is escaping me right now and it shouldn't be considering how much Gordon talks about it like this emergent, the emergent energy. Like it just, it's like, it's just in you. It just, it's moving Mm -hmm. naturally. And, and that movement can be, I think it's, uh, some emotions are going to move a bit easier in us because I don't know if we've had more practice or they just, they, they have to move. Like our body literally has to get them out, um, in a different way. Um, but it, it is more of like a movement, a flow rather than, um, Oh, I shouldn't stay here in this low, depressed place. I better find my way out of it. You know, yep, I can be sad for five minutes. My mom just passed away. I mean, that's silly, but I did get that feedback from people. My doctor's like, oh, give yourself six months. I'm like, six months? Are you crazy? Who is going to get over that loss in six months? I'm going to grieve her loss my entire life in all kinds of situations. But I think that, like, that's the difference. Um where it's not that you don't have to work at I don't I don't like that word. I don't know what the word would be. It's not that the movement of emotion necessarily gets easier, but it that it moves versus having to work at at feeling a certain way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Right. So when I went to my counselor five years ago or whatever, and said like the last time I felt joy or hopeful was like 13 years ago, um, and I know that that's not right. Like that. Like you can't live. You can't sustain your life in that way. Um, what do I do? It's not like there was any kind of a fix. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, there are still moments where I'm like, Oof, this feels pretty hopeless. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. When I was kind of thinking, I'm translating something that Gordon kind of was talking about with the alarm system, with like the medication thing and all of that, where he was talking about like, okay, the brain has its reasons for alarming, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, most likely <laughs> um, attachment stuff, right? Um, it's alarming, the 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 organism, the person, the brain. And then we add this medication to try to manage symptoms, make it go away, but then it's still trying to do its job. So it's going to but that up. Um, have you ever, and I assume like, you know, I assume the brain is also in the same way, you know, creating the depression or like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like in, in Gordon's recent um, um, keynote at the conference, when he talked about the, the vasovagal shutdown mm-hmm. response as like the parasympathetic as defense that shuts down the brain, right? It has its reasons. It's overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then we try to like take this medication in order to manage the symptoms, either giving ourselves like this, you know, serotonin booster, like we're trying to get that joy or we're trying to like, I don't know if people ever take stimulant medication or anything. Um, Probably people take all kinds of cocktails Mm -hmm. as well, right? Like I have no energy create stimulation or coffee, you know, drinking coffee, Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking of my mom who I know was depressed, just like a pot of coffee a day was like Mm -hmm. her prescription for like getting through the day, Mm -hmm. right. Revving yourself up so that you can like kind of generate some energy to like slog to counterbalance that slog. But then the brain is also like, what are you doing? I'm trying to help you by like shutting you down in the face of this overwhelm. And you're kind of pushing back and then that just kind of makes it worse. Like,
1: have you ever taken medication or like? Only um, self-medicating. Okay. Right.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. stimulants or?
1: Um, I don't know. Stimulants. I don't think, probably not. Like mostly <laughs> alcohol. I would say mostly alcohol would have been my, like, you know, be happy, party, go dancing, kind of like, you know, don't feel, um, like that's the way I was connected to people. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's not a stimulant, right. I'm sort of gapping on that. Oh, it's a moment. No, yeah, it's a depressant. I mean, it, it's, um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, it, like, it takes away your inhibitions, right. So yeah. you sort of feel this, like, so maybe in the moment it feels stimulating because now you're all of a sudden, you know, the life of the party or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're having fun and you're laughing, but yes, then it does tip the scale to, you know, that crying Mm -hmm. can't control yourself. It could. Right. Totally. Um, but I have never, I have always, I've been told numerous times, um, not told, have you considered, I really think it would be great if you tried, um, just a low dose, we'll just start you here. and I'm, I always say no. I'm like, I don't think that that's my answer. I know lots of people who have um, taken different medication and they really feel like it's helped them function. And I think that that's important. I think that people need to feel that they're doing whatever they need to do for their life. But for me, I was like, I don't think that's the answer because I do I've said, in the last few years, I started, like, um, I found out that words kind of just flow out of me. Like, I don't know if you'd call it poetry or mm. or what you'd call it, but it's just this something that I, I certainly never did it as a teenager or a child or anything. Um, and one of the things I hold on to this piece a lot, like it, like, I have, am I depressed or do I have too many tears to cry? Um and nobody to cry them with. Wow, that's poetry! <laughs> like something I don't think that's the exact words, but that's sort of the idea behind it. Of just like, yeah, there are so many tears that haven't been shed, mm-hmm. and that I know needs to be shed, but to to not be held as you shed them. Mm.
0: There's no container
1: for the tears to fall. Or
0: something yeah mm. oh, Hands wow. to catch them. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: wow that's really so you so you write poetry then like you have I guess
1: I don't know if that's what you call it just because I never like studied it or anything like that but um... pieces of writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah cool oh we'll
0: just pause here for a moment yeah okay we're back from a short break <laughs> um in terms of, the, yeah, the, the pieces of writing that you do, poetry-ish or whatever you want to call it, um, do, you, do, you, do you
1: care to share any piece of writing or do you have anything? Um, sure, I, I could. I, um, I mean, my friends tell me that it's poetry because there's a few people that I'm like, okay, I, I love, one of the things that I have, I've always been this way and I, whether it's to a fault or not, I don't, I, sometimes I, I don't know. It's probably a little bit of both this, like some neuroses and also some wanting to heal a little bit where, um, like I, I share because I want to get a sense of like, is this moving me in a direction of healing? Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, I, then I'm like, Hey, well, then it doesn't make sense. Like I'm always just like in this pursuit of healing. Cause I've all, I guess I've just always felt Um, the need for it, the need for some kind of a healing, the need for, um, knowing that this weight that I carry or this heaviness that I feel is not how I should have to feel. I should be able to experience the joy and all of that kind of stuff. So anyways, I have a few friends who I've said, okay, like give me some real feedback. And they do say, um, no, it's definitely poetry, but cause I, I get this idea that I have to like study it or I should have studied mm. in some way to be able to call myself like that I'm writing poetry. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to share. Just let me see if I can find one that maybe fits. And the funny thing about what I find really interesting about it is sometimes I don't even know where it comes from and I'll literally just, I use the notes in my phone. I don't write them down. I find like having that notes to my phone seems to be the easiest but i'll literally just it'll take me like three minutes and it'll all just be like there mm. so i find that so interesting you have a muse i guess yeah <laughs> is it depression that's my muse what Is this depression is this sadness what is this mm. let's see Um, Okay, so this is one that I wrote sort of about grief. Um, It says, my heart, it grieves. My tears, they grieve. My body, it grieves. My joy, it grieves. My hurt, it grieves. My longing, it grieves. I grieve. What ought to have been, what should not have been, what will never be. As I heal, I grieve. As I hope, I grieve. As I change, I grieve. For I cannot have one without the other. I cannot grow. I cannot emerge. So I grieve what ought to have been, what should have not been, and what will never be. I grieve so I can grow. Ooh.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. I love how it's... um you know, like it's got the kind of like the heavier, sadder side, like about grief, but then also the, the, like the joy griefs and, and all of the, like, it's the two sides of the same coin. Beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any more or is that, um, if you want me to share more, sure. sure yeah. I, this one, um, recently at the conference I don't know at the Newfeld conference um Deborah McNamara talked about a little bit about, about insatiable being insatiable mm. um and I've been thinking about this this is like this constant in pursuit and like you pursue your pursuit you, pursue, you just can't feel satiated um and I was scrolling through some of my um uh, things that I've written and I was like oh this kind of fits that and it really landed for me this idea of like um, like she talked about it as a curse, like being like, not being able to find satiation or being insatiable. I always get the words mixed up a little bit. Um, it like this, she was talking about it as a curse. Um, like you search, you search, you search, but you never feel full. Um, so I I was looking through and I saw this one. So I, I don't often name them or like give them a title. I mean, but this one I called the truth of me. I am not the lies you fed me, but I continue to feast on the promises you left. Morsel after morsel, I try to set down the fork only to raise the spoon. Perhaps if I eat enough, I will become full. The more I consume, the hungrier I am, never satiated. I seek, I binge, I starve, indulging in my search for fullness.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Um, that actually reminds me of a couple of things. Um, I love this metaphor of the food analogy and the starvation and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the, the idea of a uh, um like the entity that possesses um, a person, like it, it's an in, indigenous culture that basically they're like cannibalistic and they have an insatiable, um, desire for kind of consumption and greed and that sort of thing but there's this um book someone wrote called um oh geez what is it called dispelling we to go and it's all about i haven't finished it but it's kind of one of those like bite it off in chunks kind of books but um it's all about how our culture western culture is possessed by the weed to go. Mm. like we just are cannibalistic we eat ourselves each other yes um we are just in constant pursuit, but always starving, never being satiated. Oh, it's like, it's like Gabber's hungry ghosts too. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, or I shouldn't say oh, Gabber's like the Buddhist hungry ghost principle too. Right. Um, but there's this really cool play I went to it was an indigenous play. And um, I think it was called Whiteface, and it was with indigenous actors who were pretending to be white people. So they had white face mm. who were pretending to be, indigenous actors Hmm. so indigenous actors pretending to be white people pretending Mm -hmm. to be indigenous actors
1: wow
0: this is kind of like the old um oh what do they call those shows minstrel shows where Mm -hmm. like white people would always pretend to be like people of color indigenous people as act like act in acting in theatrical shows so they were like doing this play on that kind of like a play on blackface where they were Indigenous pretending to be white, pretending to be indigenous. And there was this one scene where they were the the main actor was sitting in the middle of the stage and he was saying, you know, what do you want to eat tonight, honey? Do you want to eat, you know, the Japanese or Thai or whatever? And he's pretending to be this. Um, I think he was pretending to just be the white person at that point. Um mm. and he's meanwhile, he's stuffing these little little chunks of watermelon into his mouth as he's asked talking to the other character. And he's just like just piece after piece after piece, and this watermelon is streaming all down his chest, mm-hmm. and he's just like, "What do you want to eat? I'm so starving! I'm so starving! We could do this, we could do that." And it's just sort of like this privilege of like, "Oh, what are we gonna eat? We're just so starving." But yet he's got all this watermelon, just like pouring. Like I, I'll never forget that. Where wow. I was like, "That is the profound." Perfect- perfect metaphor for how we are like just just stuffing our faces with everything and meanwhile we just can never get enough
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I am one of the things I've noticed and like comments about the like poetry that I write or my writings is they're all fairly heavy Hmm. And, and my friends will call, like, I've written a few where my friend will be like, oh, there's sort of like that one felt hopeful or, and they're not judging me in any way. They're just commenting on how it felt for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I, as I heal, I find it easier, like not easier, though the, on the other hand, that yes, this is hard and heavy and there is some hope in there that flows easier or fits. But if I try to force it, Mm. like if I, like there's been times where I'd be like, well, maybe I should try to, like, I'll be writing something and I'll, I'll feel the heaviness of it. And I'll be like, well, maybe I should try to add on the other hand. Like I'll try to Mm. see if it fits in there. And it, I'm like, no, it doesn't like in this very moment, what I need to um, move is the hardness, the heavy, and I don't have to find on the other hand in that moment. And I think that's where, you know, for me about what we say to people with depression or, um, whatever diagnosis, um, we're, we're talking to them about it is this idea that they have to deal with it so that they can find the, on the other hand, but you know, what if we just sit in it?
0: Yeah. We're just trying to rush them to the rainbow. Yeah like yeah I'm not comfortable with this storm you're in so can you please like hurry this along (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah. no I know what you mean I actually write poems too um and some of them are like where I look at it and I'm like that's really dark and there's just a lot of judgment there but like that was the expression that wanted to come through but I'm like that's only partially true like that's not the whole of my belief about that experience or whatever I'm like there is another on the other on the other hand here but like that particular piece that wanted to come through it was just like it's just raging out and it's blaming and it's you know judging or whatever is going on there and it's just like eh. yeah <laughs> so um that's just the truth of writing that it's not always just going to be like perfectly well balanced
1: yeah and it isn't always about other people seeing it it's just about the expression of it too right yes
0: it's play it's the play it's the expression it's the mm-hmm. healing Sure. Needs to come out. well that feels like a good place to always end is is on on the play and the expression yes. so yeah that's nice of you to share those pieces of writing here at the end that's a good way to wrap up um anything anything else you'd want to add that i didn't um, think to ask you about or
1: i don't think so i think you know no, oh, I don't think so. I think um, I'll hopefully one, maybe I'll say in closing, hopefully one day stop asking myself um, if the hard that I'm experiencing is depression, or hopefully I'll start to be able to say to myself and others, and that others will get to experience this, that um, it is hard to uh, live in a world alone. Where you can't find rest and you can't um lean into other people or be cared for, and that's not normal. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Yeah, and maybe the
0: more of us that wake up to that, we can actually let go of our attachment to the other things like the materialism or the things we've sold that sold out on in order to have kind of you know certain comforts or stuff or whatever Mm -hmm. and like put more priority on the things that really matter which are relationships and maybe be able to invest in each other more and make that work Mm and and not um you know make some concessions
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and walk alongside what everybody what anyone's experience even you know to end on because I feel like you know I don't want to be dismissive of somebody who really is, you know, as we were talking about, um, having it finding out, like they're not functioning and they're not getting out of bed and and they really are needing that extra support just to come alongside and be curious about where that stuckness came from, um and offer the support of rest rather than the support of getting them back to work and being a functioning Mm -hmm. member of society. No kidding. Just make more room for it.
0: It's like what Gordon said. We think if we give it an inch, it'll take a mile. If we don't give it an inch, it'll take a mile.
1: Yeah. Such a Brilliant man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Isn't he? I know. I would also like to pick his brain and just.
0: Yeah, totally. I, you know, I've said to, to people before like I would just be so dumb if it wasn't for him <laughs> without all his his wisdom to yeah yeah
1: yeah. the first time I was introduced all to the material head. maybe in a good place to end is I, I just thought to myself oh that's what's wrong mm. so profound like oh. yeah, yeah that's what's been missing
0: for sure Incredible. Well, this has been a really, really, um, deep and profound and, um, interesting conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to, um, reach out and, and agree to do this
1: with me. Yeah. I was excited. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Well, and thanks again for, for your poems and I hope you keep on writing those. And if you feel so inclined maybe putting them out there for, for other people to share you know they're actually I, I run grief groups every so often and I always, I'm always looking for poems on grief and I actually haven't written any poems on grief directly that kind of speak to that grief and loss experience so much um and I'm always looking for poems and like I've searched the internet and um I haven't like all the grief poems are so brutal <laughs> So, um, I think grief poems are really, really needed, or there's a lot of that rushing to the rainbow messaging right? and stuff like that. There's a lot of poems that I think are really, really toxic about grief. So yeah. I really feel like, I don't know where the poems are. Like I just have not found them. So I feel like there's real, uh, a need for that.
1: Oh, maybe you need to scroll through my notes section, my phone. It's all it's all about.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm going to have to, to to hit you up for those grief poems. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Karen. Um, Yes. Thank you. I hope to see you soon. Take care. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening.